Welcome to episode number 75 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about considerations for performing a remote dust hazard analysis. To do that, we have back on the Dust Safety Science Podcast for the, the first time we've had someone on for the fourth show, Dr. Chris Bloor, dust explosion expert and consultant based out of New Zealand. Dr. Bloor, thank you for coming back on the, the podcast for the fourth time. Thank you very much. We've had Chris on in previous episodes, episode 31, talking about reconciling hygiene and explosion safety in food industries. Episode 38, talking about the New Zealand code of practice for handling combustible dust. And episode 40, talking about how to run effective dust explosion training sessions. Today's episode, we're talking about considerations for performing a remote dust hazard analysis. This actually came out of um, a discussion that was going on inside the Dust Safety Academy platform. At the time that we're recording this, it's April 2020. We're really in the throes of the global COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which is shutting down borders, shutting down countries, shutting down government organizations, um, and turns out making it pretty difficult for process safety professionals to, to do their job, keep facilities running, and get in there and do the things they need to do to uh, do improvements in these areas. So we had an ongoing discussion inside the Dust Safety Academy platform as the most popular post over the last couple of weeks. And in that post, Dr. Bloor mentioned that he is doing five-year follow-up dust hazard analysis uh, remotely with some companies that he did them with originally, and they're coming up for their five-year renewal. And he pointed out some of the things that were important and some of the struggles that were consistent with this, and then some of the steps to actually doing this process. We had a lot of other people jump in that conversation as well, talking about their experience and their thoughts around feasibility of dust hazard analysis, around what considerations should be taken if you're doing this remotely, um, and what does a remote dust hazard analysis process look like. So I want to get Dr. Bloor on a talk through that in this episode. Um, I would encourage anyone that's listening to this to go back and listen to the previous episodes. Dr. Bloor is a, a wealth of knowledge. Combustible dust, he has a, a very long and distinguished career as an expert in this area. Um, and maybe just by way of short summary, um, what is your, your current role in industries handling combustible dust? Well, thanks, uh, Chris. Um, basically, I, amongst other um, things related to process engineering generally, I carry out explosion venting design and specification work for clients, predominantly in the food industry. Uh, most of my clients have spray drying operations, mainly dairy, but including coffee and plant-based products. And some uh, handling powders like lactose and flour and sugar. So I've got uh, most of my experiences with agricultural products, food products. Um, I also carry out dust hazard analyses, um, and I also participate in HAZOPs, which are often done prior to the uh, commissioning of a plant during the early stages of design and construction. Um, I work to both EN and NFPA standards so that I've uh, got a reasonable coverage of, of both of the major um, sort of international standards. As part of that, as you mentioned, uh, when I did the uh, podcast on training, I heavily involved in training staff, both uh, engineers and management, but also the, the process operators, because accidents are usually caused by people either directly or uh, as victims of other people's work um, or lack of work earlier on in the process. Obviously, I do a lot of that work on site, 
But for repeat clients or clients where traveling is ex- particularly difficult and expensive, um, I do it over the internet using uh, platforms like GoToMeeting and Zoom. Uh, so I'm familiar with remote operating uh, in a training context. It's just a little bit of an extra leap to do remote work uh, from a dust hazard analysis perspective. Yeah, and I want to I want to emphasize. So the first thing I'll emphasize is Dr. Blur does have a, a PhD in spray drying applications and over thirty years experience, self employed in this field, and and a big part of that on training and education and combustible dust safety. And we covered a lot of that back in episode forty, how to run an effective dust explosion training session. The second thing I want to highlight is that Dr. Blur is is doing this right now. He's working with companies remotely, doing their dust hazard analysis, doing things like HazOps. And he's really has a you know the on the ground experience of what's happening out there today. So I think a good kind of place to jump in is with your experience with the companies you're working with. How are they dealing with the reality of this this global you know current situation that we're in with the global pandemic? Yeah, it's um, it's been quite a um, a shock to people to have because almost all of my clients are in what's deemed essential industries and they're still processing. Um, you can still buy milk in the USA. You know, in fact, they, there's, uh, they're, they're busy. So um, the the plants are operational, but the travel is is greatly restricted. In the uh, US, the customer, uh, my clients are basically um, many of them have met the original three year timeline on the NFPA uh, requirement for a dust hazard analysis, and very few, except for new companies that are just putting in brand new plants, very few uh, have have needed the extra two years of grace that will expire on the 7th of September this year. Uh, so that they've fairly well got a grip on the situation. However, with the review that's required within the five-year period, those reviews are starting to come up uh, from roughly June onwards this year. Uh, now, that means that um, they've already been through the process once and they should have learned a lot about how to do it. But five years is a long time and you get changes in staff, changes in management, changes in responsibility uh, and changes in the plant and process. Equipment breaks down or is repaired or replaced or improved. And I've seen many an improvement over my years that um, was a backward step. I think we've probably all seen that. Uh, so the, the question is, um, the companies are aware of the issue. They uh, are sure that of their obligations. There is an issue in uh, how do they actually do that to a satisfactory standard. So that's where the remote operation for DHA comes in. But there's also the issue of new plants that are still being built or have just been built or in the planning stage. And obviously they need some attention. Uh, and I'll talk about that a bit later in the podcast. Yeah. And the, the whole point about essential industries, it's it's really interesting to see how this is playing out. Um, even back, uh, I'm in Nova Scotia and Canada. And, and when I think of um, my hometown here, there's a, a big plastic facility and they are essential services because they make the wrappers that go around the masks or they supply the plastic to the companies that make the wrappers that go around the the masks and they also make the plastic for the gowns for healthcare workers i've heard you know um, biomass companies that are essential services because they're supplying the biomass say pellets 
for example, to other countries to run their power stations. So they have all this complex interconnectedness. And even the the dairy case, um, I was speaking with a, a gentleman from uh, the Netherlands today. He said, well, the cows don't stop. You know, they, they, they don't stop generating milk just because COVID's going on. Um, so there is, you know, industry still running, but the hard part is, yeah, if you can't get in there um, to do the work that you need to, how do you do that? And that's really what the the industry's struggling to figure out. And that's, you know, why we want to put this podcast together. And you mentioned, I'm going to put kind of three categories here and we'll probably talk and touch on each of them. So there's, there's DHA renewals, there's new builds, and then there's, uh, I would, going to call them new DHAs, I guess. So old facilities, but that require a new DHA or require the first DHA to be done. And we may touch on that at the end, but I think to kind of jumping into what you're dealing with, with these uh, renewals, what, what considerations, well, even across all three of those, I guess, what considerations should be taking and evaluating if doing a, a remote dust hazard analysis is even a feasible option at a facility? Well, it does depend on, um, a number of things. One of them is the standard of documentation. If the original DHA was well documented and if the process instrumentation drawings are um, up to date and in order, which is by no means universal, um, in fact, seeing a an actual as-built um, PNID which is accurate is almost a life-changing event and it calls for celebration with strong drink. I may sound a little bit cynical, but the general standard, as soon as a plant is up running and the documents are more or less in order, they go in a dusty back room and they just get on with the job, which means that asking even quite young factories that are only two or three years old for up-to-date information in any country can be quite difficult. So if the documentation is pretty good um, and any changes are um, noted, and if you have a good set of photographs, of the plant items and the way they're connected. And if the management have actually had some training uh, of their staff, particularly with maintenance managers, um, so and if you've had the chance to speak to make maintenance managers and walk through the plant with them, pointing out the things that process operators might never notice, but which the, man, the, the maintenance manager will, then you've got a really good foundation for doing an, an update on the um, DHA. If you've got a brand new factory, uh, again, the documentation ought to be pretty up to date and may actually be reasonably accurate for a few weeks anyway uh, before they start playing, uh, sorry, uh, judiciously modifying equipment, I think is the correct expression. Engineering, I think is what they call it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's basically fiddling um, until they break something and have to fix it. But um, that's uh, someone with far too many years of experience talking. <laughs> so um, the the key is if if it's to be feasible, there has to be a reasonable underlying standard of documentation, be that pictorial, diagrammatic, or written. It's really helpful if people have kept the installation manuals and um, other material that came with the safety equipment. So if there are explosion isolation equipment, suppression bottles, explosion vents, uh, flameless venting, um, if they have documentation on their flexible connectors as to their pressure rating, etc. If, if that background information is actually retained by the company and is available, 
ball, that is a huge start because it's one thing to look at a piece of equipment and say, oh, it's been tested. It's quite another to have the test results in front of you. So the same goes for your dust characteristic testing, your Pmax, your KST, your minimum explosive concentration, your minimum ignition energy figures. Uh, it's really important. And while I'm on that subject, just a quick side issue. If your plant is no longer making some of the products that were used when it was designed and is now making some other products, and that is not at all uncommon, then are the new products as safe or safer than the ones the plant was designed for, or are they more hazardous? Classic examples when people start using uh, powdered sugar as an ingredient, for example, uh, in place of another product, and the sugar may have a much higher KST. Another case I had in uh, Southeast Asia where the customer was using a product, a sugar product, and I tried uh, to set fire to it and it wouldn't burn. And it turned out it had been cut 50-50 with sodium bicarbonate. So here was a product being delivered in, in um, bulk bags, flexible intermediate bulk containers. And it was actually so safe, you could not, you could not light it with a blowtorch. Oh, it was completely safe. And yet on paper, it looked hazardous. So uh, just, just keep an idea on the, on the product as well as the process. So that's the, the key thing. If you've got access to someone with a camera and even better, a GoPro and a cell phone, it's possible to do a virtual walk around and actually ask them to point the camera at certain things. This is really helpful in spotting things like, oh, we had to move the dust collector. Um, oh, it's vented. Yes, it's got a vent on the side of it. Yeah, and the vent is two feet away from a concrete wall pointing straight at it. Um, I would have to take my socks off to count the number of those sort of installations I've seen in my time. Uh, so there are changes like that. Uh, we had to rotate at 90 degrees. Okay, uh, are the feet still bolted to the floor? Oh, no, it was a bit complicated. We, we, we didn't do that. So if it blows, it will fall over and probably hit somebody. There's a lot of things like that. These won't be picked up in a conventional HAZOP done prior to the plant's construction. Uh, these are actual physical things about the installation, and they can change over time. Oh, no, we haven't really altered anything. No, when were you here last? Oh, um, five years ago. Oh, okay, I'll go and check. And yep, sure enough, there's three or four things that have happened, some of which may be very helpful, some may be neutral, and some may be hazardous. So access to um, knowledgeable people on the site who've been through this before is very, very, very helpful. And the ability to talk them through and inspect staff remotely, uh, not the photos they want you to see, but the photos you want to see. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of break it down to a couple of pieces here. So I've I have three from what you were you were talking through. Um, one is on the first one's on documentation. So this is your um, the, the safety documents you have, any testing, any previous hazard assessments, uh, P and ID diagrams, and the material characterization. The real question is has has any of that changed since the document? Well, question one is is the documentation there? do they have it and the question number two is has it changed since it's been created are you using different materials well then your material characterization and testing may need to be redone um, or at least you need to be able to show that, that material is 
safer in terms of explosibility parameters than the material you're using previously. So there's documentation. You check if that existing documentation is there and if it's updated and correct. Um, staff, access to staff I, is a critical component to effective dust hazard analysis to be able to ask them what's going on in a normal day-to-day operation. That's probably the part that's the most similar between an in-person dust hazard analysis and a, a remote one is talking to the, the actual staff that are witnessing it. The part that's probably the most different is this whole photographs and walkthroughs. I was going to ask how you do that and you gave some really good hints there on, you know, actually making sure we're taking photos of the plant today. Um, going through the GoPro is a great idea. Going through with them, with you guiding them so that you can say, hey, can I look behind there and see that that vent is, you know, only two feet from the wall? Um, that's an issue. Can you zoom in on the bolts on the floor? The, the dust collector's not bolted down. It's going to tip over from the thrust because it's only two feet from the wall to begin with. So, it's going to actually launch like a rocket. <laughs> um, so I think those are really important things. Any other tips on the actual, the how to get images, how to get documentation, how to talk with the people as they're doing these walkthroughs that you found in the the DHA updates you've been doing with the companies? Yeah, um, what I like to do is a, um, a technical briefing session. Um, it, it's very difficult to train experienced people because they're, they're, they're way past school age. Okay, so uh, who needs training? Um, if it's couched as a technical brief where you pick their brains as they pick yours, that can be very helpful. And I found this approach with maintenance managers all over the world. They absolutely love having some other engineer to talk to. They, they, they are lonely people in a factory site because people are either bean counters, uh, bosses, uh, or process operators who are focused only on making the plant run and churning the product out. The life of a maintenance manager in a in a food processing site, for example, is is a, a lonely and harassed existence. Having somebody else to talk to that understands their industry, understands their processes, uh, is is usually uh, such a delight to them that they open up uh, fully and frankly possibly more than they, 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 they might have been expected to. Uh, so that, that is part of the assurance that the DHA is actually an honest process. Uh, so I've, I've found that really helpful. Uh, if you go in with, with the attitude that, well, what does the maintenance manager know? Um, I'm just going to talk to the CEO. I, 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 I have nothing against CEOs. Every, every organisation needs somebody at the top. Um, but uh, the people who know stuff are usually further down the food chain. So uh, that's just my, my top tip is um, get alongside the maintenance manager or the plant engineer um, because they will, they will have been asking management for some of the safety features for decades. Um, and uh, having you as a potential ally in getting that CapEx through can be really, really helpful. Yeah, and framing it right is good as well, right? I like the idea of, of framing it as a technical briefing. Not you're not walking and training them on these things, but you're you're doing a combined technical assessment or giving them, you know, some some way to see it positively and framing that in the right way. Are there any other extra steps in a remote DHA that that wouldn't occur in a in person one? Not really. Um, what you're trying to do. Is, is is to the best of your ability complete the full suite of of things that you would have done if you'd been there 
the the idea of having a single meeting is 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 a waste of time. You 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 need repeated to and fro. So you need some uh, what I've got a technical briefing to start with. You need your walk around, and you need some question and answer sessions with different. Uh, levels throughout the organisation. So you need to talk to the possibly the um, in-house attorneys of the, of the company and the senior management. You need to talk to the uh, shift supervisors um, and then the plant engineers. And you need to uh, make those, they're not a one-off. You, you need to come back and review and ask again, are there anything else that, that you've, perhaps your memory's been stimulated by the previous discussion? Um, so it, it is interactive. If you were doing a physical site walk around, you would you would have an introductory meeting in the office. You'd have a chat to the engineer in the workshop. You'd do a walk around, often with a plant manager about um, six inches from your shoulder. Nowadays, of course, it'd be two meters or six foot six, and you would be asking questions and talking and discussing as you walked. Um, to recapitulate that experience remotely requires probably a couple of follow-up um, Zoom calls or, or, or meetings um, just to be sure that everybody's uh, sort of being drained of all their knowledge. So th that's the, you're accomplishing the same goal, but you're doing it uh, through a series of virtual meetings rather than a single comprehensive site visit. That makes sense. And I, I want to dive in because you mentioned the difference between these DHA updates and, and new facility builds. Um, which I hadn't really actually considered myself before coming into this interview. Is there anything that goes in these new facility assessments? Because I assume you would be going there in person doing these normally. Um, but are you doing these remotely at the current time as well? Yes, I've got a couple of uh, clients um, in, in different countries who are going through this at the moment. Um, you start out with a traditional sort of HAZOP where every man and his dog turns up uh, and uh, I mean, we've had a meeting um, a year or so ago in Australia with 23 people in the room. Um, now, 20, 24 of them weren't necessary, but <laughs> a lot of people like to be seen at the meeting or want to have their, their say. And you do, you do, a, you go through the, the full HAZOP approach, which usually takes a couple of days, um, and you identify everything on paper, uh, all of the process itself, the safety systems. Um, but what you and and you may do uh, plant layout. You'll look at where the explosion vents go, and if it's a small plant, there's a problem here because the vents will be relatively low to the ground, so the danger area outside is quite a problem. And uh, so you go through all of that, and then they get through the build physical building of the plant, and uh, you get involved again throughout that, and then you start getting photographs of the concrete walls with the holes cut in them in the wrong place, and they have to be moved, or the equipment has to be moved, uh, and 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 on it goes, and then eventually, and I can do all of that remotely if I have to, because it's it's largely on paper, and uh, when you come to the actual um, plant commissioning, that's a good time to be there if you can. Uh, but again, you can have a remote commissioning engineer who you, if you know them personally, and who can keep you posted and keep be your eyes and ears on the ground. Uh, so that's sort of how I've coped with those. Uh, in New Zealand and Australia, the dairy industry is a very uh, large part of our economy, but it's also a very small 
body of people. It's only a few thousand people and we know each other and we know our foibles and our um, sort of predilections and our obs objects of obsession and the things we don't care for. So um, we, we are able to do that pretty well. And New Zealand and Australian engineers have a habit of uh, uh, turning up in North America at the strangest of places. Um, and uh, some of their expertise can be uh, shared with others. Yeah, and, and your accent usually gets um, questioned for the wrong country sometimes as well. I think uh, maybe UK or some other ones locally come out when uh, when the Australians get together, the New Zealand folk. Are there any any concerns about this process of doing a remote dust hazard analysis? Anything that you know is a struggle or a difficulty that might be arising when when a company or, or a consultant is looking to take this on? Yeah, the, the biggest the biggest issue. I mean, a, a lot of the equipment, the equipment items. The uh, design calculations for suppression and venting and deluge and, and sprinklers and things like that, that's pretty straightforward. If the company's got standard operating procedures, which they ought to have, and the best ones are developed jointly with the staff uh, through an iterative process, so uh, over a period of maybe the first year of operation of a plant, the staff will have contributed to developing the SOP because there's no good management saying you've got to do this if, in fact, you can't. It's, it's got to be workable. So that covers startup, routine operation, shutdown, housekeeping, maintenance, things like that. Uh, and the documentation, you can check all of that. Um, you can uh, look at the plant, physical plant and see, have they put something in backwards? Is it upside down? Um, I've seen non-return valves in lines backwards, like they're not going to work. Um, I've seen pumps rotating the wrong way. Centrifugal pumps and fans will blow and, and, and pump uh, rather poorly if they're going backwards. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff like that. That's not that hard to check or have checked on your behalf. What is really hard is to get the human factors, the attitudes to spillages, the attitudes to hygiene, the attitudes to um, equipment maintenance, the tolerance of broken or defective safety equipment or machine guards, um, or things that always block. So we had a hammer for that. The management confiscated the hammer, but I've got another one in my toolkit. Things of that sort, uh, a classic case um, factory where the deluge system uh, for a spray dryer that goes off automatically at a certain temperature, um, there's typically a stop water button that you can hold in if you know during startup that we're transient rise in temperature. One company years ago had a broomstick cut to exactly the right length to go across the room to hold in the button because the guy got, got his thumb tied uh, holding it in for two or three minutes. Management found it, broke the broomstick across their knee and delivered a very verbal um, warning to the staff. As soon as he left the room, they ducked around, around the back of the um, uh, cabinet and picked out a spare broom handle. That's that's the sort of thing you have a workaround. So you've got to make sure the operational procedures are in fact correct, and the company safety culture is appropriate. And it's not easy to do that remotely. You can see warning signs, but you don't get that chat after hours over a few, with over a few beers with some of the staff who tell you what really happens. So that would be the single biggest issue with handling uh, dust hazard analysis remotely. 
And when you do that, when you come across, you know, behaviors and processes and, and human factors that aren't, you know, that are, are causing these type of issues. And I think, I think back to, to Nova Scotia, we had the West Ray coal mine explosion where it was a methane gas explosion that led to a coal dust explosion that propagated three kilometers through their mines. But the original methane explosion was caused by the workers being ordered to tamper with and shut off the methane detector because the detectors going off too frequently. <laughs> so methane, too much methane, too much methane detectors are going off too frequently. Let's turn off the detector. Um, well, you know, it, we, we know what happened in, in that story. Um, the methane caused an explosion and caused a large scale fatal explosion. But the point I want to try to make here is even within a, a remote or an in-person DHA, how do you, when you see that approach it in, in providing education, trying to tune up for lack of a better word, that company or that culture, that process, because um, I'm sure that there's other folks that are running into that while they're doing dust hazard analysis um, in person and, and virtually. Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Essentially, I, d- I adopt the similar process that I do with plant maintenance managers. You get alongside them and say, look, I'm actually here to help you to make your life less of a living hell. And I do the same with the plant operators. Plant operators don't want to have to defeat safety systems to do their job. They really don't want to. Um, but if, if that's the way it's done and they're habituated to it, uh, they're in a very difficult position. And if they stick their head above the parapet, you know, there's a fair chance it'll get shot off. So what I generally try and do is to get alongside them and say, look, are there any aspects of the work you're doing that are just unnecessarily awkward and difficult? Um, because to do the right thing should be the easiest thing in the world if, in a well-designed workplace. Now, I've never seen that. Uh, that's a council of perfection. But usually, if you can find, uh, if you can give some plausible assurance to the staff that by the time you've reported to their management, uh, not, oh, Joe said that uh, he, he routinely violates your safety edict. No. Joe's come up with a better way of doing something that will make your plant safer. Um, perhaps you should listen to his good idea. I'll tell you the bones of it, but you go and talk to Joe because uh, he's the one that actually got the knowledge about how to sort it. And when you've got management seeing that listening to their staff can actually be not just a boring waste of time, but actually something helpful to the business, when staff get the idea that management do at least once every two or three years, listen to at least one of them, you're looking at a much improved safety culture. It's also a much nicer place to go to work. It's just good all around. But I th- again, I think the, the trick is to, it's not a trick, it's, it's just common sense. You, you, you're all interested in safety. We don't want to make people's life more difficult. We want to make it easier and safer. And everybody on every level from the CEO to the floor sweeper has a role in safety and has a voice, and if it's heard, things can be made a lot easier. I've just come from a factory where uh, they've still got blowdown guns, even though they've installed a brand new, uh, fully ATEX compliant uh, vacuum cleaning system. They still need the blowdown guns because they've redesigned uh, for safety some issues which make housekeeping more difficult. So they now use the compressed air guns to blow the dust for the vacuum cleaner. So you fix one problem, you create another problem. Now, in that case, I was able to make some fairly strong representations to the management that this was a, an unwise course. Um, <laughs> so, 
<laughs> These are not the words I use to them, I can assure you. Uh, but we're not, um, we're, we're doing a public broadcast here, so <laughs> I'm going to moderate my tone. But you can, you can understand that the solutions to most workplace problems lie in the people in the workplace. It's a matter of tapping into it. So uh, that's the approach I take. And doesn't matter who I'm speaking to, as I say, from the in-house attorney, CEO, down to uh, the person responsible for the housekeeping, they are all playing a vital role because they wouldn't be on the payroll otherwise. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's a, a, the crux. Doing a dust hazard analysis and doing a hazard assessment and these sort of things are, um, are of critical importance. But at the end of the day, if you have workers that are tampering with level set sensors that are that are tripping the prevention systems and the protection systems because they're being told to or because they think that's the best way to do it or because it's the design of their plant is such that they have to then you know that's the real problem that's the limiting factor that we need to address and having strategies for doing that i think is is really important um so i i do appreciate you sharing that do you have any other comments on the um case where it's a first time the facilities having a dust hazard analysis done. Is there anything that needs to be done in addition to what we've talked about in this episode so far? Um, is it just a bad idea to to do a fully remote DHA when the consultant hasn't been in the facility? Can you talk around that a little bit? Yeah, um, you could probably get three quarters of the dust hazard analysis done remotely um, if if the documentation's sorted out and if you've got the opportunity to explain to people why you're asking these questions. Another useful tip I've developed in, well, particularly in North America, but I've used it all over the world now, is to make up a series of generic checklists for, say, bag houses, dust collectors, cyclones, spray dryers, um, intermediate storage hoppers, uh, packing bins, packing machines, powder silos, transport systems, lean phase and dense phase, vibratory conveyors, fluid beds, rotary valves, flap valves, flexible connectors, uh, earthing. So basically, there's a, a sheet of paper for each each item, and you just write down the, um, you put it on a clipboard, walk around, and you just tick off all the boxes. So, for example, a spray dryer would, has a list of uh, things like, uh, is it vented? If so, um, uh, are the vents directly to the outside or is there a vent duct? If there's a vent duct, what are the access controls to it? Uh, recently, had to use bolt cutters to cut open padlocks to a, a vent duct um, because they were locked for safety and the, the key got lost. Well, the problem is you can't now inspect them. So people are now putting sight glasses into the uh, walls or doors on vent ducts so they can inspect them with a, with a flashlight through the window instead of having to go in there. So it means they do check them. And if the vent uh, explosion vent panel has actually cracked, as can easily happen with an overpressure or underpressure from a fan trip, um, you can see that there's a problem and potential hygiene issue. So you can, you can provide people uh, doing this remotely with a, with a pre-set you know, stack of 20 or 30-page checklist, and they can go through and check them all off and uh, scan them, in fact, and send them back to you. I was going to say fax. Who faxes these days? <laughs> Um, so you can do a lot of that and to the extent that you can get access to talk to staff um, over um, a video link um, you can 
get some kind of a feel for how they're operating. What would be the preferred solution in these particular troubled times would be to complete as much of a DHA as you could within the requisite regulatory time frame, but follow up with a personal visit a few months later once travel restrictions are lifted um, for a new plant, for one doing it cold for the very first time. I think that's the only practical. I would not hold off doing it. Just because there's a, a virus at loose doesn't mean that all the other hazards have gone away. You know, nowhere is it written there's only one way to, to, <laughs> to get hit by something. Um, you can be hit by a truck just as easily as by a virus. So uh, that would be uh, do, the, do the best you can and follow up when practicable. Uh, and an interim DHA done in that way with a promise of a follow-up visit ought to keep OSHA uh, happy um, because, let's face it, how often are the OSHA inspectors going out when COVID's around? And I would add to the, the comment that it's as important as ever, uh, maybe more important to be thinking about hazard analysis at this time. I mean, when we look back at major incidents, a vast majority are caused or happened during shutdown and startup in abnormal conditions anyway. So if you're operating in an abnormal condition because you're, you're down to half your shift force because you can't fit them all in the same room without being two meters away from each other, um, or you're shutting down your facility or your facility's been shut down for two months and you're starting back up. These are critical areas where we see fires happening, where we see explosions happening. Um, so it's even more important to be vigilant in these times when, when basically everything's in abnormal condition until we find this, um, I'm doing air quotes, as, as Chris can see, this new normal, whatever that means, um, that we're going we're gonna to be going into moving forward. So I think it's, a, it's even more important. Is there any, any final comments for facilities handling combustible dust or consultants that are supporting these groups in these difficult global conditions that you'd like to leave off with? Well, really that um, getting the paperwork and the photos and, and so forth sorted is really helpful and ought to be done anyway in any form of DHA, be it personal or remote. But the, the, the key thing is to communicate effectively as best you can remotely uh, with the plant and its people to emphasise that you're not there to wave a stick at them. You're actually there to try and help them work safely as a normal part of every. It ought to be normal to be safe. Safety should not be a special effort we only make once every five years. No, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, it's it's. You see some companies that use the quote, "It's it's the way we do things," and that's kind of a, a bit a bit buzzy unless it's true. <laughs> it's it's great when it's true, but when it's not true <laughs> when safety isn't the way we do things um that's a that's a problem but that really is what we're what we're shooting for at the end of the day is and i, I liked your quote earlier that the safe approach is usually the simplest approach it's usually the approach that you'll you'll do with the least amount of effort if the safety is implemented right if you can't physically get the stamping machine to stamp when your hand's in the way <laughs> then then you're not going to stamp your hand with the you know with the ton press so it's best to have a system where you can't physically do that and that'd be the safest solution. And I think we're always looking for how do we do that in fire and explosion safety as well. So I just want to say, as, as always, um, the fourth time we had you on the podcast, I'm sure there'll be a, a fifth time as well, your wealth of knowledge. Um, and I, I really appreciate coming on. I really appreciate you being involved in the Dust Safety Academy community, um, answering questions there and getting feedback. Um, I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today and sharing your knowledge and taking this time during these 
difficult global circumstances that we're in. You're very welcome. Thanks. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Dr. Christopher Bloor. We've been talking about considerations for performing remote dust hazard analysis. So as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, this was a topic that was brought up inside the Dust Safety Academy community, and we had a lot of feedback. A lot of folks were discussing it back and forth. Chris mentioned that he's he's doing a lot of work in this area right now as we're as we're recording and as the months we're going through this global COVID pandemic. So I got want to get want to talk through that. And we talked through different types of dust hazard analysis, doing refreshers or five year updates or three year updates, um, doing a, a, a so called cold. DHA on an existing facility uh, and even talking about new builds, what are the considerations there? And we talked about things like existing documentation, making sure it's there, making sure it's up to date, training, and even better word Chris gave me for training, doing technical briefs. And then also, how do you go about the actual implementation of the DHA in terms of getting photos taken, maybe having things like GoPros, having multiple virtual sessions and discussions with different team members so you can bring all the information you need for the, the dust hazard analysis. We also talked about some struggles, some difficulties in this area and whether or not, you know, on a, on an existing facility, if it's possible to do a fully cold DHA, or maybe we need to go back and um, approve that or assert that's correct at a future date as well. Um, and we t- left off just talking about some other thoughts on this, you know, global pandemic and how keeping safety front of mind really as the way we do things is even more important in these times where we see the abnormal conditions. It's where we tend to see a lot of large-scale explosions, a lot of large-scale fires and process safety incidents happen, which means that it's it's even important that we're doing this. So we'll include um, a way to contact uh, Dr. Bloor in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 75 for this episode. We'll include links to the Dust Safety Academy. Um, any important documents that we brought up in this episode, we'll include that there as well. I just want to close off this episode by saying, uh, please keep yourself, your families, and your colleagues safe in these difficult times. Um, and we look forward to continue to bring you relevant information for combustible dust safety around the world each week through the podcast. 